Last time on Tales of the Voidfarer. Lean reaches inside and pulls out what looks like a glass orb, and it seems to have like a soft bluish glow. It's the drift globe, I would say, but there's some sort of weird writing on it. And you see small Githyanki script. Ravenous, would you be able to read this? You see pinpricks of light coalesce, a model of a solar system using illusory magic. And what is that? It means vault. <laughs> so this is a treasure map. It looks like it. We can dip within the atmosphere of this planetoid. And she points to one of the, the orbs. It looks like it's a moon of a nearby planet. To resupply our air, and then that'll get us to the vault. And you look to see a Kindori whale breach through the clouds off into the distance off the starboard. And you see another one in the distance. And you look off to the other side, and there's another one that kind of comes up. And Val has this wide grin on her face. Well, I think our luck is changing. Space whales. Voidfarer has just entered the atmosphere of this moon around the furthest planet from the sun in Krat space, excluding Nadir Anchorage, which is not a planet, strictly speaking. You would know from having been in Krat space, picking up things, the large gas giant that this moon is around is Dwarven mining clan designation Sietverd, or Fifth World, based on how they catalog planets. However, most merchants and the like commonly referred to as the Sentinel. Useless fluff, basically. <laughs> the crew is ecstatic at the sight of these Kindori, which are massive space whales, as they are lazily diving and re-emerging through the thick cloud cover of the moon's atmosphere. The warm wind on your face for the first time in, you can't even remember. You definitely get the impression that it is a sign of good luck to see a pod of Kindori. Val is ecstatic as well. She's actually going to cry up to the crow's nest. Jack, are there any Vuluganas nearby? And Jack, who is looking out behind where the Kindori are swimming, he says, yes, there are, Captain. And as you look behind, you can see that there are flock of winged creatures that seem to be flying in the wake of these whales. Now, the Kindoris themselves, they do resemble whales that you might find in the ocean. However, they don't seem to have mouths, and their eyes are not where you would expect them to be. They have a row of six eyes that are on the very tip of their snout. Their bellies are covered in white, pale spots. Their sides and back are dark gray. However, their backs on most of these are covered with this green moss. Val says... Kindori moss is actually quite valuable. If we can harvest some, we might be able to supplement some of our costs of this journey. We'll have to be careful, though. 
Kindori can be spooked by spelljammers. Luckily, the Vilguanas will be able to get us closer. And you can see that the crew seems to already know what to do in this situation. They've brought out what looks like small bundles of meat, and they've tied it to the end of a long rope. You see Lester is just going to swing the rope in like a large circle as he stands on the deck. And you see one of these winged creatures that is flying behind the whales is going to veer off from the flock and approach. And as it approaches, it gets larger and larger and larger until it lands attacking this ball of meat and landing on the deck. And it is this horse-sized winged lizard. Its front legs folding into large leathery wings. It's this green, bluish color, and it has ridges all the way down its back. It resembles like a marine iguana. It kind of has like a snubbed nose and such. And when it does that, Scuttlebutt is actually going to jump onto its back. It's busy eating and doesn't actually protest in the slightest. Scuttlebutt is going to grab onto its spines on its back and give it a slight tug and it's going to jump back into the air again and fly off in the direction of one of the whales. They're getting ready to get another one of these lures set up. I'm going to look over to Luckbeak and Ravenous. Are we really about to ride some flying iguanas to go shave a whale? (laughs) (laughs) I suppose that seems like the long and short of it. Brohane is coming out onto the deck and he goes, Oh, right now, remember, we're in the atmosphere of the planet, so if you fall, there's not a gravity plane. But he's going to reach into his pocket and pull out these brass medallions, and those medallions are on a chain. And he goes, um, I've imbued these with the spell Featherfall. If you fall, you can activate it, and you'll drift down slightly until one of us can pick you up. Ah. Oh. He doesn't have an infinite amount, he has a handful. <sighs> And he's offering them to whoever wants to take them. Wait, so not everybody can have one? Well, it doesn't look like everybody's going to do this either, but a lot of I people see. are. And it looks like a lot of the crew is confident enough that they don't take any. Oh my... G- hey, you know, when people were complaining in that meeting about us being like the <laughs> the favorite children and getting to go on missions, this is the kind of shit that they were jealous that we were able to do. Like, oh no, we might fall off of a flying lizard from... 300 feet in the air and die. <laughs> Whoopee! Um, Melinda's going to walk, run by you and goes, Ah, these things are docile as hell. There's not much danger. Have some fun! But she is going to take one of Brohane's amulets before jumping on the back of her Volguana and taking off. Hmm. Marco takes one of the fucking medallions. <laughs> <laughs> Brohane's looks surprised and goes, All right, there we go, lad. <laughs> he looks terrified, but his sense of knowledge and need to know is outweighing his pure, terrified expression. Sure. <laughs> so you take it and walk forward as you see Lester swinging another lure and another one of these Vilguanas uh, flies over and grabs the lure and lands. And Lester says, there's your chance. You want to jump on? Fuck it. Yeah, Marco goes for it. Yeah, you clamber up, and what Melinda said must have been true, because this thing doesn't resist at all. You get on, you find some good handholds, but I do need you to make an animal handling check. Oh, sweet Jesus. Okay, it's wisdom. It's not going to be that hard. Let's find out. Okay, okay. That was a nat 20. Damn! (laughs) Uh, Yeah. 25 in total. Holy shit. Right? Everyone who seems to be doing this hasn't been making it look hard, but Marco, you jump on its back and it's like you grab some like spines just as a handhold. And before you even have a chance to like tug or do anything, the thing just leaps and takes off towards one of the whales. I think you all would hear, ah, 
(laughs) (laughs) Ravnus? Yeah, Ravnus is going to get on one, two. Are you going to take take the amulet? Yeah, she's definitely going to take that. Okay, go ahead and make an animal handling check. Uh, That is a four for my sweet baby Ravnus. Yeah, you jump on its back, but you hesitate just enough that just as you go to jump on it, it finishes eating the meat that served as a lure, and it jumps and flies away before you really get a grasp. So you kind of jump and get a hand, but its wings spread and actually knock you backward onto your butt. <laughs> Lester's going to laugh, and he goes, oh, <laughs> all right, Ravnus, next one. Get ready, look alive. And he's swinging the lure, and another one comes flying over and lands right next to you. Ravnus is really trying to play this off like nothing mm-hmm. happens, and she tries <laughs> to get on the next one. Go ahead and make another animal handling check. That's a five this time. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so, yeah, this time you're kind of like at a bad angle now, like having fallen and gotten back up. The iguana is its face is like right in front of you. So as you go to approach it, it finishes eating its meat and it looks up at you and goes <laughs> opening its mouth, showing its teeth. It doesn't attack or anything, but it opens its mouth at you just as like a defense and then is backing up. Unless um, you're trying to hold the rope, but it, you know, backs away from you and does not heed your attempts to mount it. And it's really interesting because as a Githyanki, growing up in the nursery, you've read stories of Githyanki knights who rode on the backs of red dragons. Man, you don't know how they could have did it. <laughs> uh, she, who, Who's holding them again? Lester is the one who is swinging the rope with the bait on it that's attracting them. All right. she She's going to go, it doesn't like me. <laughs> Try again. All right. going to use a different die this time. This one is... Uh, <laughs> You roll better if you if you have more dice. All right, here's a different one. <laughs> and it's another four. Oh, my God. Wow. Oh, um, Jesus Christ. Okay. Yeah, you go to get on it, but it sidesteps you, and it's actually going to whip you with its tail. Oh. And you take three points of bludgeoning damage. Oh, my God. <laughs> Nicholas, you said this was easy. <laughs> The DC is literally 10. <laughs> like, okay. you have now, like, broken probability. You know? <laughs> All right. You have a 50% uh. chance of beating the DC just on the die. Woof. <laughs> it's up to Ravnus whether or not she decides to give up or not. <laughs> She's going to do this one more time. Okay. Go ahead. Make her roll. <laughs> if it doesn't work this time, then it was not meant to be. 17. Okay. (laughs) Yes. Finally. (laughs) Yeah. This time, it's the same lizard. When it does that, Lester kind of loops the rope around its neck and pulls it to the side. And it's distracted by that just long enough for you to get on its back. And it kind of like settles slightly as you give it a slight tug on its ridges. It listens to the direction that you tug and it'll leap and start flying. All right. So Luckbeak, (laughs) you just witnessed all of that. Sure did. Are you feeling daring or are you going to be a spectator? <laughs> Is the whole crew off the ship? No. 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 Uh, it, it seems to be mostly like riggers and a couple gunners that are having a go at this, but not everyone is. Right. Um, In fact, you see that like Kensley and Tiana are kind of standing aside with smiles on their faces, kind of watching the sure. others as they do this. And there's a few others that right. aren't participating. So Tiana is here. 
Yes. Okay. So uh, while this whole thing is going on with Ravnus, uh, I'm going to have uh, cast Animal Friendship on one of the other ones that's in the air. Mm-hmm. Um, is there a difficulty check? What is the difficulty check on that? Or uh, Animal Friendship? Well, it's the DC is going to be your um, uh, spell safety, 8 plus proficiency plus charisma. 8 plus, so my charisma's 4, so that's 12, plus proficiency. Do I have a natural proficiency in that? At level 4, uh, your proficiency bonus across the board is plus 2. Okay, sweet. So that would be a 14. Okay. Which so, is what I said initially, though I was entirely wrong on my math. <laughs> <laughs> your work was wrong, but you got the right answer. Exactly. <laughs> uh, it, got, it got a 15. Okay, cool. So it passed. Yeah. Uh, okay. Like you walk up to it and you cast the spell for like the second time ever. Mm-hmm. And this thing is like eating the lure and it looks up at you and just goes. <sighs> mm-hmm. <laughs> then I'm going to back away and not ride that beast. You might be like, this spell is fake. Somebody, this is a prank. This, this, <laughs> this spell doesn't exist. <laughs> the two times I've used it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is one of the spells Fred and George taught Ron like before his first year. <laughs> yeah no I, I i wanted to uh i wanted to impress tiana but i'm not going to fuck around and, and um, look like an idiot so marco <laughs> yeah the wind is whipping through your sandy blonde hair and this flying iguana is fast taking you towards one of the whales which is lazily swimming through the clouds but you see scuttlebutt who took off um, before you has kind of coasted the iguana down next to the whale and has pulled out like a sack and is using the broad side of the dagger to like scrape some of like the moss into like, a sack on its belt as the iguana is flying in tandem next to this whale okay and you see that some of the other ones are doing similar things where they're swooping down low and collecting the moss off the back of the whales into jars and bags. Okay, um, well, I guess I'll try that. Mm-hmm. All right, so go ahead and just make me another animal handling check to see if you can maintain your mount while you do some harvesting. All right, that is a 15. Yeah, you do it. You tighten your grip with your legs a little bit and kind of hang on, wedging your elbow against the ridges and reach out and collect some of this green stringy moss that's moist from the clouds. It's cold, too. Uh, You almost get the impression that it might freeze when the whales are flying through space, which makes it so it's really only harvestable when the whales come into an atmosphere like this. Okay. And you can see that it almost has like a faint like bioluminescence to it. I love I have Uh, to keep some to study. So you can collect some and stick it in your pouch. I do so. so. Ravnus, do you follow Marco to the one he went to, or do you follow um, some of the others over to one of the other whales? Um, I'll follow Marco. Sure. Yeah, you can see, like, Scuttlebutt and Marco scraping some of this moss off into whatever containers they have on them. Yeah. Are you doing the same, or are you just going to follow Yeah, she's going to do the same. Go ahead and make another animal handling check. Oh, boy. 16. Okay. Now you've gotten a little bit more comfortable and you kind of, having watched Scuttlebutt do it and then Marco do it, 
fairly easily, you can do the same and collect another sample of this moss. And it is almost a liberating experience. These iguanas are fast flying and dipping through the clouds. And actually, you can make out as the clouds part in places far below, you see the shimmering ocean. So yeah, Luckbeak, were you going to do anything else or are you just going to kind of watch from the ship? No, I think I'm good for this scene. Got it. The crew is hooting and hollering as they fly and collect these, this moss and they're just generally having a good time. Nice. Uh, if, if we're done, Ravnus is going to go back mm-hmm. to the ship. Yeah. So uh, you'll start like heading back that way. You've, you've gotten a couple samples now. And Marco, as you and Ravnus are kind of flying your lizards back towards the Voidfarer, mm-hmm. these whales continuing to swim along, you know, being about the size of the, the Voidfarer itself, you hear another long moan, but deeper. And cutting through the clouds is another whale. But this one, gargantuan in comparison to the others. While the others might have been the length of the Voidfarer, this one is probably four or five times the length of the Voidfarer, and probably four times as broad. What the... As it comes up, and you see it too is covered with this verdant moss, but it actually looks like it is at places like trees. It almost looks like there's a forest. And Marco, more specifically, you notice that you see what looks like structures, man-made structures, on the back of this whale. Ruined, overgrown, but structures nonetheless. It looks like there was once a village on the back of this whale. Marco's innate sense of adventure and, like, need to know more is taken over. He's going. He's not checking <laughs> with anybody else. He's going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ravnus, you see Marco kind of, like, awestruck at the arrival of this large whale, this Kindori matron and veer off towards it. Ravnus is going to kind of be internally upset a little bit at Marco, but she's going to go follow him. (laughs) Okay, yeah. And Scuttlebutt, who is flying not too far away from you, is going to see that and follow as well. And Luckbeak, you see this massive whale come out of nowhere. It's huge. Yeah. And then you see Marco and Ravnus beeline towards it. It doesn't seem like a great idea. <laughs> and Scuttlebutt. <laughs> and Scuttlebutt. Scuttlebutt. This seems to be like Scuttlebutt's favorite fucking thing to do. Like, he did not hesitate. It seems like a bird person who is unable to fly. Like, he, every opportunity to do this is something that he, that he will do. Uh, I'm going to turn towards one of the folks on the ground that's more familiar with this and ask, like, what, what, have, y- have y'all ever seen one of those before? Yes, these are Kinduri. They are common throughout many spheres in wild space. Mm-hmm. Um, what are they going towards it for? Is there some other kind of moss on there we need? It appears that Kinduri uh, may have housed some sort of settlement. Hmm. Okay. All right. All right. I would imagine it would have piqued the interest of Marco Astoria. <laughs> yeah, I guess that checks out. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Scriv is going to say, Kindori are quite fascinating. They feed on sunlight, but they like to bathe in the thick atmospheres of planets to cleanse their underbellies where they absorb said sunlight. Inside these atmospheres, the moisture is 
the perfect opportunity for these mosses to grow. And mm -hmm. these mosses are quite rare to harvest as they freeze in space and are inaccessible. Right. And they also make a variety of magical substances. Such as? I'm not an expert on such things, but perhaps <laughs> Brohain can have that information. <laughs> you can give me you can give me 12 paragraphs about the, the thing itself, but then the one interesting thing, what kind of magic is there? All right, you know My what? responses are limited. You have to ask the right questions. Uh, all right, all right. I got you. <laughs> <laughs> Does anyone else also find it funny that we traded a bird for another bird? Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> You guys probably didn't even notice. You're like, oh, look, Pixar, wait a minute. <laughs> I can play Scuttlebutt yeah. for the rest of the session. That's fine. <laughs> it's all good. Marco, uh, you, you fly closer and you see that these structures are primitive in nature in terms of like their structure and the way they're oriented around each other. But as you get closer, you can see that the materials they're made out of definitely seems to be Cretorian magic. Um. But obviously untouched, like the mosses and lichens and algae that grows on the back of this Kindori whale have taken over all of these structures, crawling up the surfaces and uh, overgrowing the entire place. Um, but it does seem like there's a large central like flat area kind of in the middle of this small circle of structures. Yeah, Marco Landon, he's landing. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you land, and as soon as you land, your iguana starts eating the moss. Uh, you get the impression that that's why these creatures follow the Kindori, that they'll eat pretty much anything, moss, meat, whatever they can get. So as you land, it just starts eating, and you get the impression you could get off it, and it's not going to go anywhere. Yeah, I, I uh, hop on off and give a little scratch underneath his chin, and start exploring, man. <laughs> sure. Scuttlebutt's going to land as well. Ravnus? Uh, Yeah. Marco, just go ahead and make me an investigation check. All right. That is a 26. Jesus. That was a, a 19 plus 7. Yeah. <laughs> so the structure seems to be a circle of about seven or eight buildings, um, small hut-like structures. However, the main support structures of these buildings are not wood or the like. They're actually made out of this metal you're not 100% certain its nature and there are similar very precisely etched grooves that run the whole length and kind of twist and intersect with each other it does remind you of the grooves that you've seen inside of Kratorian spelljammer ships and there is one larger building in particular that is not as taken over by the surrounding area simply because of its size. Most of the small structures have been completely overgrown to the point that you would, short of having a machete to get yourselves in, it would be tough. But this large central building looks like you could go in and explore. Yeah, Marco's running. He is at a full run to get mm -hmm. to this thing. You go in and with your investigation check, you see inside of this structure a basin that looks like it's designed to hold this moss and like grinding stones and it almost looks like the way you would set up like an alchemist workshop. Mm. You start to piece together that this settlement was likely specifically put here to harvest this moss, which boggles your mind, which means this whale is more than 10,000 years old. Oh my god, this is like Marco's fucking dream day. <laughs> there doesn't seem to be a whole lot left. You do, though, find three sealed clay pots. 
Yeah, Marco's like already grabbing them and just like, all right, I got to find a way to get these back to the ship while I'm riding an iguana. <laughs> they are small enough that you could fit them in your bag. Okay, yeah, he's like, already. They're about maybe like a liter in size. And while they have lids, but it doesn't look like it's sealed, sealed. You know what I mean? Like, it yeah. looks like you could open it and look inside of it. Marco's curiosity, the way that it is, he's already opening one of them. Right. You open it and you see this viscous green gel inside of the pot. He's drink looking. it, drink it, drink it. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you check the others and all three are the same. Marco's thought process right now is, you know that meme that you see on the internet is like, should I lick the science? <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like that <laughs> up to you you uh, do you my dude <laughs> yeah he's, he's, he touches it first is ravenous uh -huh. there yeah ravenous is there okay she is going to uh see him stick his hand into this pot that they found are you sure you want to do that the grossest winnie the pooh <laughs> <laughs> oh, god so that's a loaded question, Ravnus. <laughs> I don't think it is. <laughs> don't ask questions you're not prepared for the answer for. <laughs> Marco is going to at least touch it. Okay. Uh, you touch it. Um, make, an, uh, make an arcana check. Okay. Make a constitution save. <laughs> make a death saving throw. <laughs> okay, uh, that one is a 16. A 16? Yes. Um, yeah, you feel like a slight tingling. It's not unpleasant. In fact, it's quite soothing. Um, and the smell is almost like a aloe-type smell. Um, it's very fresh, natural smell. And you're pretty sure this is made of, a, like, a different substance, but the end result um, appears to be very similar to Keog Tom's ointment. Hmm. Okay, so it's an ointment. Mm -hmm. Good thing not to drink. <laughs> right. Uh, well, you would actually know you could actually imbibe it and get the same effects because each jar contains 1d4 plus 1 doses of a thick mixture that smells faintly of aloe. As an action, one dose of the ointment can be swallowed or applied to the skin. The creature that receives it regains 2d8 plus 2 hit points and ceases to be poisoned and is cured of any disease. Somebody didn't know what an aloe or an ointment was. <laughs> If they think it's yeah. something that you can swallow. <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of in Saker's it's, camp It's on that a one. magic ointment, Saker. <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> it's more like a smoothie. <laughs> it moisturizes your inside. Yeah. <laughs> it's magic jello. So it can be applied topically or imbibed. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so Marco scoops them up and then he's just like, looks around for anything else he can maybe scoop up or ideas yeah. of how to make it uh well in fact with your investigation check from earlier you'd see a tome that looks surprisingly well preserved i'm picking that bad boy up <laughs> yep you flip through it and it is kratorian uh i pocket it and then i'm like this has been one of the best days of my life looking at uh scuttlebutt when, and ravenous when you pick up the tome you, you displace another object uh that kind of falls to the floor at your feet and it looks like it is a necklace that is made out of interwoven brass. And there is hollow crystal orbs set in it, small, the size of a marble, in a couple places all the way around. And it looks like there's swirling wind inside of each of these little orbs. 
Um, and it definitely appears to be magic. All right, Marco's going to pick that one up and is going to kind of look at it. Uh, I guess he would try to make an Arcana check then. Uh, go ahead. Ooh, that one, not so good. <laughs> That's an eight. Yeah, this one you're not familiar with. It's definitely magic. That, that much you can discern just from the nature of the swirling wind orbs. But beyond that, you're not sure. You would have to identify it somehow. Okay, I'm going to pocket it into my bag as well and be like, and turn back to them. It's like, this day gets better and better. Oh, my God. This day gets better and better, says Scuttlebutt. Yes, exactly, Scuttlebutt. Uh, let's see here. Uh, God, I could spend my whole life on this thing, but I probably shouldn't. Probably shouldn't. So let's, um, Marco, let's be calm now. Let's, let's, why don't we go ahead and scrape up a little more of this algae and then, um, Head back to the ship. Scuttlebutt's gonna nod. Ravnus, is there anything in particular you would like to do? She does that. Okay. <laughs> so you guys you guys find your iguanas right back where you left them. Um, uh, Scuttlebutt is going to um, gleefully get back on his and turn, and in Marco's voice, say, back to the ship and leap with his iguana and fly off. That's, uh, same for myself. Yep. Ravenous is the same. So, um, probably like a good 20, 30 minutes past, like Luckbeat, having watched them fly down to this whale and sort of get lost amongst the, the green foliage and the structures on its back. Mm-hmm. Uh, and before they finally emerge <laughs> and fly back. And you see that a lot of the other crew members are now returning and landing back on the deck, dismounting their Volguanas who take off and fly back off without them. Okay. Hey, we haven't given any thought to maybe, you know, harnessing some of those things. They could be useful. I mean, could be nice to have a pet on the ship, too. Kind of a little uh, morale pick-me-up, right? Lester's going to say, uh, they're, they're as fickle as they are docile. We wouldn't mm. be able to get them to stick around uh, for too terribly long. All right, all right. Trust me, I've thought about it. Could be cute. They could also eat you if they get bored. That's less cute, I suppose. (laughs) Scrib is just going to stand there just... Well, this was an exciting day. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Scrib. I feel feel like it's so easy, but so hard to dunk on Scrib. Like... (laughs) It would be... It's like not even worth it. (laughs) It would take no effort. Why bother? (laughs) <laughs> hey everyone, Nick Yurisiva here, your one and only Dungeon Master. Actually, that's rude of me to assume. You may have other Dungeon Masters. That That's cool though. I'm not the jealous type. Hope everyone is having a fantastic Nat 2020 so far, and thanks for kicking it off by listening to Tales of the Voidfarer. This is Chapter 2, Episode 5, and our 10th episode overall. If you like listening to our adventures in Wild Space, be sure to follow us over on Cyberspace, at Voidfarer Podcast on Facebook and Instagram, and at Voidfarer Pod on Twitter. And let us know how Marco, Luckbeak, and Ravnus fare in your games of Fuck, Mary Kill. As always, special thanks to our producer, Tom Goldthwaite, for our theme song and other original music, and additional music provided by purple-planet.com. 
Fiona, our very own Ravnus, and Tom have their own podcast called Big Streaming Pile, where they deep dive on the best bad movies streaming services have to offer. Check out their latest episode where they discuss Netflix's The Night Before Christmas. Our next episode of Tales of the Voidfarer will be on Tuesday, January 21st, 2020. See you then. You guys travel for another couple days, guided by the Githyanki drift globe that you found on the Scrow battle wagon only just a few days ago. Val has said that the vault is located near the next world closer to the sun, um, the primary world of Krat space, um, which is commonly referred to as the Den of a Thousand Dragons. <laughs> oh, sounds lovely. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. She has assured you that it's only called that because it's in fact a cluster of many small asteroids and worlds all existing within the same air envelope and pocketed with thousands and thousands and thousands of caves. There hasn't been any dragons seen there since anyone has entered this sphere. Hmm. And besides, the vault isn't there. It's just near there. So it's getting about time when you are due to arrive and Val and Rohane and Scriv and a few of the other officers are up on the deck. And Ravnus, whatever you were doing, Laney is going to come and fetch you. Um, Ravnus, uh, I guess we're about to get close by, but Val wanted a word for you up on the quarterdeck. Okay. And she will go there. Yep. You come out and you see Val looks a little confused. And Ravnus, you look up into the sky and you see a Githyanki flying fortress. It is this square stone fortress floating on a rocky slab just barely big enough to support its structure. It has battlements in each of the four corners, and you can see that it looks like there was at one point ballistae or other siege weapons on the top of these each four corners. You see it and like, yeah, of course, that's where you were going. Um, but Val looks super confused and Val says, um, so the map said it was here and she looks at you inquisitively for some sort of answer. Yeah, here it is. Here, what is? The vault. Right, Marco and Luckbeak. Uh, are you guys up on the deck by chance uh, during this? I think I would be. Uh, oh yeah, Marco, then, yeah, I'd say so. If Marco's aware of that, then yeah, he's up at the deck looking at this thing. Uh, no, you're not. You don't see it. Oh. Yeah, Luckbeak and Marco, you don't see it. Neither does any of the crew or Val. Uh, Here's the interesting wrinkle then, I guess. <laughs> Val's going to say, Ravnus, uh, I don't see anything. It's the big fortress right there. Oh. She kind of looks where you're pointing and I'm like, there is nothing there. We can navigate to that direction. Um, tell us if we are veering off course. And they start flying. And occasionally you'll have to say like, now go, you know, port, starboard, that sort of thing. Um, and it's only like when you're only within like a couple hundred feet that Marco and Luckbeak, you suddenly see this floating stone fortress appear out of nowhere right oh. in front of the ship. Oh, oh. Ravnus, there's no discernible change for you. Oh. <laughs> what the fuck? So she she just keeps directing them then, um, not 
knowing if they'll ever see it, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, Val will confirm that. Okay. Well, it certainly has interesting defenses then. Jeez, Ravenous, I was, I mean, I got to admit, I was about to go to Doc Allen again. I mean, I've been, <laughs> I've been having my doubts about you, but hell, there really is a fortress here. I told you. Well, what? Well, I mean, is it some sort of, uh, you know, uh, vision that you have that, you know, does it show up better on your eyes? Is there some sort of force field surrounding it or? I don't know. Dokey doke. Well, actually, does she know? <laughs> uh, you would probably be vaguely familiar of this sort of thing existing, but it, it would it would only be reserved for like super important locations. Mm, okay. Like the primary vault of a system. Which is what you guys knew this was. Okay. Holy fuck. Wow. Uh all right. Yeah, so wow. So I mean, do you share do you share with us that this is only for like important places or it's used for important stuff and the vault seems pretty important. Well, I mean, we thought there were some sort of valuables here, but I mean, is this a lot of precaution to take for some vault with just some gold in it or something? I mean, could we be stumbling onto something a little more than we expect here? It's possible. Okay. We're... Hopefully no one will be in there and it's abandoned, but it's always possible that it's not. <sighs> yeah, I suppose the ask a stupid question, get a stupid answer. Anything's possible. You're right. <laughs> it's not a stupid answer. Nope. Uh, yeah, I, you know, right. That was rude of me. <laughs> You're a stupid answer. <laughs> <laughs> so as the Voidfarer approaches, you can see that there is large stone slab doors on the one side of this fortress. And from the platform just outside those doors, there are a handful of stone quays, like these wharfs that stick out just into the empty space um, that serve as a dock. And you can see that it does look like this fortress has sustained some damage. One side of it looks like it had completely caved in at one point and like the rubble has then filled it in but the front and the dock seem to be intact but as you approach it looks like there is a crashed ship on the edge of where the docks are wooden in construction with brass fixtures all around it val is going to instruct salon to bring the ship right up to the docks okay do we know how many people are going on this on this excursion is it just us three and val val has not said okay but it does look like she's preparing to give some instructions, and uh, without further ado, as she says, All right, Marco, Lechbeek, and Ravnus, um, I'll be joining you. Scriv can come along as well, so we can start chronicling anything that we find. Then probably one more. Well, who would you like to join you? Who's she asking? The, the group in general. Oh. Uh. Who do y'all think we could use on our group? What do you think we're missing here? Well, I mean, ain't it obvious? I mean, we need Doc, right? <laughs> uh, Doc, who's standing there, but I guess, oh, fuck no. I ain't going in there. <laughs> oh, what fuck about that. What about Arella? She's the cleric. Yeah, okay, actually, that's probably a better idea anyway. Arella, how do you feel about I mean, I guess we all have an option now to choose if we don't want to. She won't like it. I could join if you would like me oh, to. Oh, see? She likes it. Uh, this is, it. It is up to you. Oh. She says, looking at... Luckbeak and Marco and not really looking mm -hmm. at Ravnus at all. <laughs> sure, I think that's a smart idea. Uh, yeah, I think so too. In case we find something, we have someone there to heal us. And I'm sure Arella's good in the fight. Actually, God, how long is this expedition going to be? Well, I wouldn't imagine it would be too terribly long. The structure is large, but not 
so massive that we would be in there for longer than a few hours, I would Damn, think. Damn, a couple hours. See, we are going to need a snack. Should we bring Coot or... Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, Ravnus, I'm Are not asking to eat him? I'm not asking your opinion, Ravnus, because I know what you're going to say. Should we bring Coot? Yes, of course. I mean, we, I'm... We all know Coot is a fuck machine, but we don't need him right now. All right, all right. All right. Well, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm down with... Uh, I'm down with Arella. Uh, yeah, Arella. Sounds good to me. Very well. The Far Wanderer will guide us. Getting so. some real Mass Effect vibes from this. <laughs> <laughs> she says that every time you pick her for your team that's like her yeah. uh, her catchphrase yeah yeah <laughs> so you three val orella and scriv make your way down onto the stone wharf standing outside of this githyanki fortress as you approach you do see that probably about 30 40 feet off to your right is this crashed ship. And now being this close, it doesn't look that old. What does that mean? Dozens of years? One year? Make an investigation check. It doesn't look like it's like, you know, sun beaten and worn and... That's a 21. Um, Yeah, given the state of the like brass fixtures and the, the splintered planks and, and stuff, it looks like it's days old. Oh, geez. Oh, shit. And the other thing that you notice is getting this close is it it doesn't have any sails and it seems to have these brass appendages that kind of curve outward all from around the midsection of the ship. Two that extend out to the port and starboard and one that extends out directly up from the deck. And as it's sitting kind of broken and splintered on its side, you see that there's another one that juts out straight from the keel. And the ends of these arms are curved slightly, almost as if they would, the four of them hold like a ring-like object that would completely encircle the midsection of the ship. Uh, all right. Um, do we, do we actually, like, see if anybody's here, or what's the best course of action to take, Val? Val's gonna say, well, uh, I think we should check... You know, if it, if there's anything dangerous in it, we wouldn't want it to attack the ship while we're inside. Uh, okay. Scriv is cocking his head at it slightly. This is an Eberron ship. Eberron? Like, like... Eberron, the world that the Forge originated from. Oh. This might have been a forged craft. I get... I was unaware of any potential expeditions in crop space. They were all individual efforts. Are we still... I mean, are you still in, in communication with the Forged? I mean... Yes, the children of Sybaris are my people. Oh. My forays into wild space on my own, with the Voidfarer or otherwise, are to collect information and knowledge to eventually take back to the children of Sybaris. I see. All right, well... It is curious that there would be a forged ship in such a remote and unlikely location. Should should we get to exploring, or are we going to just kind of chat here all day? Oh, you're right, you're right, okay. <laughs> I, I'm worried that somebody stole a Warforged ship, and then, I mean, oh. you know, drove it here, crashed it. Um, all right, but let's let's go take a look, I guess. Marco's getting antsy for, uh, study. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, Val's going to, like, kind of have a hand on her scimitar, but she's going to cautiously approach with you guys as well. Um, who wants to lead the way? So... I'm going to say that I think Marco would, but if anybody else wants to, by all means, because it's not even like leading tentatively, he's just moving forward looking at things. Mm-hmm. 
Ravnus is going to try to get herself pretty close to the front unless Marco is uh, just, like, sprinting ahead. She's going to at least try to walk, like, beside him. I wouldn't sure. say sprinting. He's not He's not that <laughs> dippy. Um, yeah, but he'd probably be moving at, like, a pace of, like, all right, who cares about danger? There's studying to be done. I guess the question is, who wants to lead the investigation check? to poke around more um whoever does it can do it with advantage because of the other one helping out my investigation is plus seven. Oh, so you should do it probably <laughs> <laughs> all right uh okay so that's a dirty 20 all right yeah, you get up there and the ship isn't that large. Um, it's probably about the size of like the Blackfin. So it, it would at most only be able to carry maybe about a dozen medium sized humanoids. It is kind of like a strange looking design. It reminds you of like the Kratorian Spelljammer ships a little bit um, because of like the brass fixturing and, and such. But it doesn't have like that crystalline inlays that that is hallmark of like a Kratorian Spelljammer. And you see that as you look, the ship has been, like, eviscerated by, like, tiny little scratch marks that were plentiful enough and massive enough to, like, sunder the ship and tear it apart bit by bit. Almost like like gigantic termites or something like this has, like, basically swarmed and deteriorated the ship in places, basically rendering it completely disabled. I'm going to relay this to the others to see if they would know what this is, because I don't think Marco, even with a roll, would know what this is. I'm not even going to bother. I have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, Marco relays the information. Val is going to say, hmm, well, that's concerning. Scriv is going to look things over and go, yes, this, this ship has been thoroughly disabled by some unknown entity of some sort um none that i would be familiar with well um that's simultaneously fascinating and terrifying marco at that moment there is a massive gust of wind that just out of nowhere with such a sudden velocity that it like it feels solid and slams you in the square of the back literally knocking the wind out of you um that is going to be a 16 to hit. That will definitely hit. All right. That is going to be 13 bludgeoning damage. Woof. As suddenly lurching out from the ship is this seemingly alive whirlwind of air. And I need everyone to roll for initiative. All right. Three. Twenty. Six. Val. Oh, shit. Val got a one. <laughs> Useful. Uh, her, oh. her dex actually puts her above luck beat, though. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> That's fair. Okay. Cool. The air elemental is going to turn on Revness and rush towards you. That's going to be a 14 to hit. Uh, that shouldn't hit. Second slam attack. Uh, less. 
Yeah, that doesn't hit. Yeah, so as this like living whirlwind flies towards you, your hair is blown backwards as the gusts of wind buffet against you, but uh, ultimately not dealing any damage. Ravnus, it's your turn. All right, so she's in a shampoo commercial right now. Um, <laughs> does she have? <laughs> does she have any idea what this is? Uh, make a Arcana check. All right. Let me see what my Arcana is. Thirteen. Yes, uh, you're pretty sure this is an air elemental. Um, you don't know a whole lot about them other than that they exist. They're from the elemental plane of air, and they're basically living air. <laughs> uh, does she know if they need, like, magical weapons to defeat them, or...? You're not sure, but you're pretty sure swinging our normal sword through air probably won't be as effective as it usually would against a creature. Right. Okay, um, so she is going to, uh... Ah, fuck it. She'll she'll take out her long sword for now if it's like right on her, yep, and try to take a swing at Good. it. <laughs> that is eleven. That whale miss. Shoot. Also, Nick, I'm pretty sure you just saw Frozen Two, and that's why we're having this combat. I have not seen Frozen 2, actually. <laughs> well, this happens in Frozen 2. <laughs> Spoilers! God! Right as the killer robots are showing up. <laughs> Elsa boards a Githyanki fortress. It's real weird. <laughs> Man, the, the franchise took a turn, and I'm actually here for it. <laughs> All right. Uh, Orella is going to cast a sacred flame at it. And that is going to hit. Okay. Yeah, you see a flash of radiance energy. Strike it. Scriv is surprised. Um, he's going to say, It must have been the air elemental that was bound to the ship. It's been freed now that the ship is destroyed. And he is going to do barred things. He is going to say, Air Elemental, no one takes you seriously because you're always full of hot air and cast Vicious Mockery. Boo. <laughs> <laughs> this is why I am a poet and not a comedian. <laughs> it fails, and it's some psychic damage. Okay. Uh, it is now Marco's turn. I guess Marco, to respond to Griv, will be like, what does that mean? And then cast Flaming Sphere at it. Okay, so you conjure your Flaming Sphere. Yeah, right where it's, like, right next to it. It, it has to make a save? Uh, yes, you do need to make a Dexterity saving throw. It's good at those. That is a 18. That passes. Does it take half damage? It does take half damage. Okay. So 2d6 and then half it. Uh, mm -hmm. So that's going to take 3 fire damage. Okay. Val is drawing her scimitar, her cutlass, as it were. She is going to run up to it. And she's going to hit with her scimitar, but it doesn't seem to do as much damage as it normally would. She's going to attack with a dagger in her offhand, uh, miss, and then with the scimitar again, uh, and miss. And she says, I feel like I'm doing nothing. Uh, Luckbeak. Um, do I know if these creatures are sentient? 
Um, make an arcana okay. check. Eight. You're not sure. Um, it definitely seems to be acting animalistic, best you can tell, but mm-hmm. you're not sure. Uh, hey, Marco. Yeah. Uh, hey, do these things, like, think? May I make one or should I wait till my turn? Uh, you can make one. Do Arcana. That would be a 15. Yeah, you know that they are like mildly intelligent, but not super, super intelligent. They're not game terms. They have they have an intelligence of six. Is that like a pig to a human (laughs) or an octopus Uh, or something? Well, I mean, it's possible for there to be player characters with intelligences Mm, of six. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But um, like a giant eagle is an intelligence of seven. You know what I mean? So like, Uh, I think if I remember correctly. Not the brightest in the world, but they certainly have the ability to think. All right, all right. Um, oh boy, uh, I guess I guess he feels comfortable enough trying to attack something like that. Um, is uh something within range enough of it that I would get my sneak attack? Yeah, cool. Um, Ravnit, Ravnus and Val are both sure. Next okay, so I'm going to go ahead and uh, load up my crossbow and shoot it. Uh, that's going to be an 18. That hits. Cool. And. That's six plus four plus six is 16 damage. All right. Um, the bolt flies through it and it into the remains of the ship behind it. But it does like recoil like it took some damage, um, but not as much as it should have. Mm. Like you definitely dealt like more damage than anyone else has to it yet. Um, but it's definitely not as much damage as that would have done to something that wasn't just an angry cloud. Mm-hmm. So Scriv is going to answer Marco's question. Scriv is going to say, Eberron airships are often powered by bound air or fire elementals. This one must have been using an air elemental, which would have allowed it to travel through the phlogiston without exploding. (laughs) Info dump mid combat. (laughs) Thank thank you, Scriv. My pleasure. (laughs) All right, uh, it's back to the air elementals turn. It's actually going to attack Val this time. That is going to hit her. With its other attack, it's going to attack Ravnus. Um, That's going to be 19 to hit. Yep. And you take 13 bludgeoning damage. Wow. Yep. So then it is Ravnus' turn. Okay. Ravnus is going to swing again with her longsword. Okay. Okay. And that is going to be an 18. That does hit. All right. And she is going to use Distracting Strike. Okay. So she adds the superiority die to her damage roll. And Uh everyone else gets advantage until the start of my next turn. Okay. So that is 13 damage. You do hit, but again, it, it almost feels like you're swinging straight through it. It does recoil, but it definitely doesn't feel like you're doing as much as you should. But everyone who is doing that gets advantage. <laughs> right. <laughs> so you're helpful. I'm helping. Aurel's going to send another Guiding Bolt. Or not a Guiding Bolt. Uh, Sacred Flame. The other cleric spell. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so she does have advantage. Ooh, that still sucked, though. Now yeah, she's still going to miss. She didn't want your advantage. <laughs> all right scriv marco how are you looking um i am at half health right now okay scriv will give you a boost hold on i gotta find a poem of course you do 
<laughs> of course I do. So Scriv is going to look at you and say... A wanderer parlays with this crystal sphere's void. A culture sails to the delight of wizardly foes. And you are going to heal seven. All right. Nice one, Scriv. Thank you, Marco Astorio. All right. So it is going to be Marco's turn. Marco's then going to scream to Scriv. If we kill this thing, will there be any negative repercussions for the ship? And then I'm going to throw, I'm going to, as bonus action, just chuck my flaming sphere at it. (laughs) Uh, Dexterity saving throw. That's only a 12 this time. That one's going to fail. He takes full damage. Uh, five. Okay. He's not looking too hot now. So that was my bonus action. Uh-huh. Um, Scriv is going to say, no, the ship appears to already be a loss. Val's turn. Oh, and I still have a regular action. Oh, go. my apologies. Go ahead. That's okay. Um, Actually, it might be best just to call it because the rest of them have area of effect attack and I hurt somebody. If you still have an action, you can use your action to dodge, which makes attacks against you have disadvantage for the round. Yeah, I'll go ahead and do that then. That makes sense. If you don't have a better thing to do, that's always, like, the thing to do. <laughs> yeah. All right, so it's Val's turn. And her first attack is going to hit. And her next attack is going to miss with her dagger. Then with her cutlass again. Natural 20. Even with her critical hit, like, it still doesn't appear to be doing what uh, what it should be. But that being said, this this era elemental, its form is now starting to look more chaotic and like it's barely being able to hold its form intact. Uh, it doesn't have a whole lot left. Luckbeak. Um, I'm going to, uh, I mean, I'm not really a fighter, so I guess I'm going to just try the same crossbow thing that I did before. Couldn't hurt. Sure. Yep. Go ahead. Seven. No. Yeah. Misses. Yep. All right. The air elemental is going to attack Ravnus. A 16. Yep. All right. That's another 13 bludgeoning damage. Ravnus looks real bad. Then she is going to attack Val and miss. Ravnus. Um... For the reference of the healers in the group, Nicholas, Ravnus is at 5 out of 34 hit points. Damn. Yeah. So she is going to... Hmm. Can she use a javelin with the thing basically right on top of her? You would have disadvantage on the attack. Okay. She's going to give that a shot anyway. Okay. Um. Well... Yeah, because that's a magic weapon. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, does she know the command word on this? Yeah, she does. Okay. Cool, cool, cool. Oh, but she has to throw it in a line, so that would hit Val, presumably, presumably right? Uh, no, you and Val are basically standing next to each other, so drawing a line between you and the air elemental would not hit Val. Okay, but it wouldn't, like, make her lose the javelin somehow either? Right? Um, that would be a risk of happening because you're standing on like a wharf on the edge of open space. Okay, she's not gonna do that. That seems not worth the reward. Um, she's gonna hit it with her long sword again. Okay. That is going to miss with an eight. Damn. Yep. Arella is going to run up behind you and cast Cure Wounds, and she's going to heal you for nine 
Um, she's going to say, may the far wonder guide you on your journey. Um, very quickly as she pumps hit points into you. Uh, nice. Scriv is going to uh, heal Val with a healing word. Marco, it's your turn. All right. Um, you still have your flaming sphere up? Yeah. And I'm eating that thing back into it. It fails. It's safe. All right. That is 10 damage. Okay. Uh, uh, so as the sphere hits this last bit of uh, air that is holding itself together, uh, there is like a poof of fire um, as if it's being exposed to oxygen and the air elemental dissipates. I will drop the flame sphere and call it a day then. Well, actually, I want to, before we, uh, and I'm going to run up to uh, Ravnus and slather her in green jelly. <laughs> Ravnus is trying to push him away because she doesn't know what he's doing. I'm trying to heal you. Um, Alright. So, I believe that was... It said 2d8, um, I think. 2d8 plus 2. So go ahead and roll 2d8. 11. You heal 11 hit points. So, that jar had um, four uses, and you used one of them. So I was like, hey, perfect test time. Puts green gel in hand, <laughs> runs up, slap. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, that's going to be such a wet slap across her face. Yeah. So um, so for your note, Marco, there was so there's three left in that one. The other jar has two and the last jar has five. That's how much uses you have out of each jar. All right. Hey, how do you feel? Better, but I didn't like that. <laughs> Sorry. What uh what was that? Um Scriff is going to say that was an air elemental, a being from the elemental plane of air. No, I I meant I meant the mint jelly. <laughs> oh. Oh, um I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I I found it on the back of a Kandori whale. And it was in three jars mm-hmm. after studying it enough time. Mm. Um, I came to the conclusion that it is a healing ointment mm. that can it's be a kale smoothie <laughs> that can be both applied as a salve as well as ingested. <laughs> nope, <laughs> that ain't a thing. <laughs> it is, as you can see. Points to Ravnus. She's healing just fine. Ravnus, Would you like some? Nope, I actually am okay. Listen, I believe one or the other. I mean, I've seen potions and I've seen salves, but. I don't, I don't shower in potion. I don't eat no salve. <laughs> Wait, you shower in salve? I, listen, I might. <laughs> All right, it, you know what? It doesn't matter, Marco. It doesn't matter. You buy it by the five hundred gallon drum. Yeah, exactly. I just dip myself into a hot spring of salve. <laughs> well, don't you worry, bud. If you know you ever get hurt, mm-hmm. I'm here with jelly. Mm-hmm. Whoop! Great. <laughs> <laughs> Ugh, Doar is a delicacy some places. Please don't slather me in jelly. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> All right, so you guys are standing before these large double doors, and you actually see um, now that you approach that they're not fully shut. One of the stone slab doors is ajar. It's still a door, but it is <laughs> partially open. <laughs> oh, well. That's the domain of the adventurous. So, Val? Yes. Uh, onward we go. Um, and she's going to stride forward. All right, follow her. Yeah. Follow her. 
Marco's into it. Scrivenarella will follow as well. So you step inside, and you're surprised to find that it's lit. Um, there are several um, sconces that seem to be burning with magical flame. And you are immediately met with the six faces of mind flayers. Mm. Their decapitated heads mounted on the walls, immediately opposite from the door. Um. Ravnus is going to have a hint of a smile, which is probably the most you've seen on her. Mm-hmm. Five of these mind flayer heads are still hanging from the wall. One is not. One is on the ground, and next to it is a corpse. And the corpse is wooden and a metallic that makes uh, that is similar to that of Scriv. Hmm. And Scriv is going to look down and he goes, hmm, it does appear to be a forged craft. I wonder what transpired here. And so the room you see is long. It's like 50 feet wide and 20 feet deep. So it's like you walk into like a wide chamber that extends 20 feet before you get to another double doors that are closed. And then there is a door far down to the left and a door far down to the right. But this dead forged is towards the right. Uh, and and Scriv is inspecting the dead scourge right now. The dead forged. The dead uh, he forged. is. Excuse me. Yeah. Not particularly. Um, he didn't like get up close, but he's like identify that it is a forged. Um, it doesn't appear to be one he knows, obviously. Okay. We, well, I guess I'm going to get close enough to the forge to to try and figure out how it died or what happened to it. You make a either an investigation check or I guess a medicine check? Mm, I'll do investigation. <laughs> oh, there's a natural 20. Damn. Nice. Uh, you are 100% certain that you have no idea how this thing died because there is no marks. Okay. Um, <laughs> good. Well. there it, it, It's it's actually strange yeah. um, looking at it. There's like no signs of death. Its batteries ran out. Okay. Can, can, actually, I'll just ask it in character. Uh, hey, Scriv, can, can Forge like die of old age? It is uncertain as of yet. Um, as far as anyone has been able to observe, no forge suffers any detriment over the span of time. Mm. Suffers no penalties as age increases. <laughs> I see. You're reading out of a book, Scriv. That's weird. Um, all right. Yes, every forge comes with a user. <laughs> um, so I don't see nothing wrong with this one. Um, I mean, no, no, there's no, there's no sign of uh, a combat. There's no sign of a fight. I mean, it, oh. is that that's not normal? Okay, good. I mean, not good, but I mean. Mm-hmm. Now the only the only thing that you can put together, and I mean, with your investigation check, it's like you know, of all of the mind flayer heads in the room, the one that's not on the wall, that's on the floor, is right next to the body. Okay. Um, I mean, hey, um, can somebody pick me up? Ravenous goes and picks him up. I'm gonna grab the the face that's on the floor and then hang it back on the wall. I figure I'm not okay. tall enough to do so on my own. I need everybody in the room to make a intelligence saving throw. Fifteen. Um, fuck me. Auto fail. Fuck. 26. <laughs> okay. Ravnus and Orella take 12 psychic damage. Everybody else takes six. As all six Mind Flayer heads, their eyes go this glowing blue. The tentacles writhe, and there is a... 
sound that just penetrates your mind. Uh, can I kick the thing off the wall that was on there? I mean, as soon as it happens, I imagine you drop it. Yeah, it doesn't yeah, get yeah. back up on the wall. And it stops an instant later, regardless. Ravnus probably drops Luckbeak oh, Jesus. in the process. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> Luckbeak drops the head. Ravnus drops Luckbeak. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So it, it seemed to happen as soon as you touched the thing. Val's holding her head. By the gods! Orella is like kind of bracing herself against the wall. Um, neither look good. <laughs> Val's a little bit okay after getting healed previously, but that's not what she wanted to experience first thing walking in the door. Yeah, that's fair. Um, All right. Yeah. Um, well, that was very unpleasant. I'm sorry. Uh, okay. Well, what, Scriff? What was that? Um, it appears to have been some sort of trap. Oh, okay. Not normal. Okay. <laughs> I am not familiar. These heads appear to be that of illithids, which, as I understand, are the nemeses of the gith. Uh, and and he kind of looks at Ravnus as if to confirm. Fucking squids. <laughs> Ow. Yeah, Val's gonna say, yeah, fucking squids. Good thing we hardly hear from them anymore. Oh, uh, you don't? Well, that's 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 fantastic. They used to be far more common across wild space than they are today. I do not like the sound of that. Yes. I'm just... Okay. <sighs> yep. So, you guys are in this room. There's the double doors directly across from the ones you entered, uh, and then a door all the way down on your left, and a door right by where you guys are by the dead forged towards your right. So... So, why would anybody have that scriv? I would imagine it would be some sort of defense. Um, and Ravnus, you would know that, like, you've seen, like, Mind Flayer trophies in Githyanki fortresses and strongholds is super common. But them being used like this as, like, a trap is not something that you're super familiar with, but it makes sense to you. Why not use them as an extra line of defense? Okay. She says then. Well, if you have them anyway, might as well make them useful. I guess? I guess, yeah. All right. So you have straight left and right out of this room. Um, I would probably go left. That's fine. I'm just going to follow. I have no idea where we're going. Yeah, I have no opinion. I have no, yeah. Sure. Yeah. So you go through that door. It's left open. And the one thing you notice on the other doors as well is that there's some sort of like mechanism, like it's a circular mechanism that has like five orbs set into it around the outside that you're not sure quite what it is, um, but it doesn't it doesn't seem to do anything because the door is like already open and doesn't react when you walk by it. But you walk into this room and Ravnus, you notice that this this structure does remind you a lot of the hatchery that you spent so much time in in your youth, basically from the time you hatched to your childhood before you were eventually taken in by the pirates of Geth. And this looks like a pretty common mess or recreation area that you would find in a Githyanki structure like this. Although the one thing that instantly strikes you is bodies. Probably about seven in here. Charred. Charred, mummified, humanoid bodies. And the two of the four walls of this room are charred black. Um. The far wall is crumbled and it has since caved back in, so it's not open to space. But it looked like everyone in this chamber at some point however many hundreds of thousands of years ago died a very fiery death. Ravnus is going to go and uh, look at them, kind of like investigate. Yep, go ahead. You can make an investigation check or a medicine check if you'd like. Well, I imagine they're just dead. 
That's well, that's the result of her investigation check. No, I'll I'll do a medicine check. Sure. Um, that is an eight. An eight. Um, yeah, you can't glean a whole lot off of what's left because there isn't a whole lot, but you can just intuit from the situation that these are these were gifts. Uh, do they like obviously have anything on them, or is it just it's so old at this point that? It's, well, they were probably so completely emulated that anything they were wearing or carrying got burned up. They are basically just shriveled, blackened husks. Okay. And Marco, uh, or anyone really, can make an Arcana check if you'd like. All right. Sure. Um, I'm rocking a 19 here over here. 10. Okay. Yeah, luck week, you're not sure. But Marco, this wasn't a fireball. This wasn't burning hands. You're pretty sure this was dragon fire. If you don't mind me asking, like, what what's the signifier there? Like, what would, uh... Not only are the 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 body's charred thing there's nothing like in terms of personal effects left but it's almost as if the stone and the structure behind them also began to melt um from the heat and intensity okay of the blast so and so you can kind of piece together like from the crumbled wall on the one side it looks like a, a fucking dragon stuck his head in here and burned everyone in the room you know I think this this looks to be done by a dragon. Uh, all right. I mean, long gone, obviously. One can hope. Uh, I have a question. Um, Nicholas, I know that Gith Yankee have good relationships with dragons. Is this like, would this be like just totally bizarre? Um, yeah, it would be out of the ordinary, but not. Outside not like the impossible. Yeah, it's not impossible because, like, from what you understand, like the the agreement between like Red Dragons and Githyanki was not like a super like loyalty driven, you know, or magic compulsion thing. It was just like you know Tiamat commanded the Red Dragons to serve the Githyanki for a time. So it's like each dragon had their own opinions and free will. So it, I guess, it's possible that something like this could happen. By that means, not common though, but not unheard of. Okay. So yeah, um, Marco is actually going to ask like Ravnus is like Ravnus, would you know anything about this? Why there would be a dragon in here? The Githyanki and dragons have an agreement. It's not impossible that a dragon would do this, but they're usually friendly. Yeah, this doesn't look like much of an agreement. <laughs> Yeah, I was about to say the same thing. Ravnus, out of the corner of your eye, you see something small move in the shadows. She goes to to look at it. <laughs> you look, and so does everyone else, and you see crawling out of one of the crumbled cracks is this tiny creature. It's it's probably about the size of like like the mass of like maybe like a child or like a halfling, but it is this like amorphous blob of flesh. And it seems to have bony protrusions sticking out of it. And in like one side of it actually looks like it's hard, like scales. And it stops for a moment when you look at it. And then it lurches directly at you. You have an opportunity to like make an attack to stop it. Um, can she try to grapple it instead of attack? Yeah, you, you could if you want. Yeah, she's going to try to grapple it just to see what the fuck it is. Sure. Um, go ahead and make a strength athletics check. 
Ah, oh, son of a beekeeper, that is seven. You fail, and it, it hits you, and it, all of these tiny little toothy, claw, bony protrusions sticking out of it at all long angles just begin grinding into you as it lands square on your shoulder, chest area, and uh, just... <laughs> that is going to be a 17 to hit. Yep. And do you take seven piercing damage? Ouch. Val is actually going to jump forward and attack it with her scimitar. She is, in fact, going to hit. Okay. She cleaves it in half. Oh. And the minute that happens, I need Ravnus, Marco, because you were standing right there. Yeah. Um, actually, it's going to be like everyone in the room. So you, you guys would go ahead and make intelligence saving throws for me again. Intelligence? 21. Yeah. Okay. 15. 10. Okay, Ravnus, uh, you take two points of psychic damage. The others, you guys are fine, but you do hear like a this like mental scream again, similar to like what happened with the mind flares. Ravnus, it, it hurts, it deals damage to you. The others, you shake it off, but you all experience something strange. Okay. Your vision suddenly changes momentarily, and you see the scene of, from your perspective, but high high angle looking down on this cavernous chamber filled with gold and art pieces and tapestries and gems and other precious materials a a horde worthy of a dragon and laying around are scorched githyanki eviscerated githyanki and you feel a sense of accomplishment that the horde you coveted is finally yours and then the memory fades as you snap back to the present of you standing in this room now around this dead, fleshy whatever. And Val kind of is looking wide-eyed down at it, and she's going to look up at you. Did you all see what I saw? Yeah, 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 I did. ProjectDerailed.com